Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. We are now joined by Ellen McLaughlin, who was a noted playwright. She has a new play opening at Theater Road this Saturday. The world premiere, it's called Kissing the Floor, a radical retelling of the Antigone myth. She is a noted playwright and actress. She's been involved in many of the um, extraordinary movements with Joseph Papp and Tony Kushner throughout the last umpteen years. Ellen McLaughlin, welcome to the Lisa Wexer Show today. Hello. Hi. Hi, Lisa. Good to meet you. Good to meet you, too. This must be a very exciting weekend for you. You have a play opening. How thrilling. It is thrilling. It's also very nervous-making. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, sure. I, I'm sure. I just threw a rewrite at the actors about 10 minutes ago. Oh, my goodness. Very, very valiant <laughs> and wonderful actors. And I just, I, I'm, a, I'm an actor myself, so I'm very feeling about, like, just what this is like to be given, a, you know, a new rewrite just before you're going to go walk in front of an audience tonight. But Are you directing as well? Are you directing no, also? No, no, thank okay. goodness I'm not okay. directing. <laughs> the wonderful Yanti Dimos, who's, who's the artistic director of the company One Year Lease is also directing the play, and she is just terrific. And no, it's a good thing I'm not directing. I'm just the writer on this one. So, But Ellen McLaughlin, isn't your husband in this one? Does, does he get upset when you he throw is. rewrites at him? Does he get annoyed, or is he like, okay, this one's no, a better version. I'll go with this one. <laughs> you know, he has to live with me, so he can. He he's much better about it, but the people that I'm annoying with rewrites right now are not don't happen to be him, so he's okay. off the hook. Okay. Yeah. So I understand you have reviews are like. Yes, I'm sure. I understand you have a real fascination and a history with taking some of the classic Greek plays and adapting them in more modern, relatable stories. That's true. I've done about uh, a dozen of them at this point. I've lost track. That's how many I've done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, they call them classics for a reason, right? Because they tell the tales. Absolutely right. Yeah. They they work. They're they're engines that work, and you can do you can take great liberties with them, and they still do the thing that they were designed to do, which is tell a very 
a very powerful story. These myths, you know, there's a reason that they've lasted. They're just, they're ancient and they're also immediate in a way that mm-hmm. um, few few plays are. Um, so I take great liberties with this particular myth and this particular story. But I think it still provides this kind of undergirding that's really resilient and reliable, and it delivers. I mean, those Greek guys knew what they were doing, apparently. Well, you know, fair warning to our G-rated family audience, Kissing the Floor is not a G-rated play. Talk to us a little bit about, talk to us a little bit about Kissing the Floor and what would make it not G-rated or without giving too much of it away, what do you want the audience to be expecting before they come to the show? What would you like them to know about it? Well, the thing about Greek plays is that they're they're not G-rated. <laughs> um, they're, they're yeah. at, at the center of every, every Greek play is an unthinkable thought, a very dark thing, a really impossible thing to, to contemplate. And that's why they wrote the plays, is they were trying to talk about the most difficult things in the most difficult way. And um, so, yeah, it's not for kids. It's it's a it's a dark play, and you know, it like the Greek source material. It involves you know, incest. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Greeks know, really went I, there, didn't they? They really they, did they go there, there right away. Yeah, they did. They did. And but what happens if you? if you do embrace that whole idea is that you get through the darkness and out to something that is maybe transformative. It's maybe, you know, what the old word for it would be cathartic, but Mm. um, because you're talking about things that are so difficult to talk about, there is this kind of release that can happen if you do it right. And I'm not claiming that we're necessarily doing it right yet. But we, if we do manage to do it, it'll take you someplace very dark, but it'll take you someplace very beautiful as well, very luminous. And it makes you think hard about what life is. And they always make you think hard about the hardest questions like, what do we owe each other? What do we owe the dead? Who are we? You know, what is the right, what's right behavior in the world? I mean, those are the questions that the Greeks are always asking. And so I'm just trying to ask them in a more modern way. Um, So it's set in the modern era. It's not set now. It's set in the 1930s in the Depression. But it's about a family, as most Greek plays are. Um, And it's about a family that is... Uh, an ethical disaster, which mm. is true of, of most Greek plays, and how the characters navigate through that. You know, how do you make sense of a life that doesn't really make much mm. sense? And and what do you do when your brother, for instance, is a just a catastrophe of a human being? You know, what do you owe him? What do you do for him? And I think that those are questions that continue to resonate for us. Um, what do we owe people like that? What do we owe the the criminals of our in our society? You know, what do we owe other human beings just because they're human beings? But mm-hmm. also, what do we owe our brothers? You know, and I think it's a question that come, it's it's really resonant for a lot a lot of people for all of us really because we do have to think through as a society. 
you know, what do we do to care for people who are so, um, well, they're just, they're, they're catastrophes as human beings. Yeah. We're chatting uh, with... What do we owe them? We're chatting with Ellen McLaughlin, who is a playwright and an actress, and her play, Kissing the Floor, which is having its world premiere at Theater Row this Saturday, will be running at least for a few weeks, hopefully even longer. Uh, Ellen, I saw that you went to Yale. Is that right? I did. A long time ago. Yes, I did, as an undergrad. Yeah. As an undergrad. Wow. Where mm-hmm. did you grow up? Where did you grow up? I grew up mostly in Washington, D.C., and I went okay. to Sidwell, France, which at the time was not so fancy now that it's had president's children yes. going to it. <laughs> yes ever since chelsea clinton went there well okay right right yeah, right recognizable to me now but uh which is it was a great place for, for me to go um for high school because i met very smart people but i also um you know the quakers knew a thing or two um mm-hmm. and i i love that aesthetic and you know that that you're expected to do um, community service of some kind, some kind of social human rights. Um, you're expected to do that. And I, I love that about the Quakers. They're very matter-of-fact about it. And it's meant that I've worked with the Quakers um, for years over the course of my life. I just um, really find that a beautiful um, aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you have fond memories of being in Connecticut during those years, their formative years when you go undergrad? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I really related to Connecticut so much, but um, Yale was an incredibly intense experience for me, and I was I was insane. I took, you know, I, I couldn't decide on my major. I switched majors seven times. Did you, <laughs> you know, really? Too many really? Courses. It was wow. I took too many courses and I did too many plays and I just, I was a, a house on fire and I think about that person that I was and I'm just exhausted. By I, that. <laughs> you know, Ellen, Ellen, I tell you the truth, I can relate to that because I went to Johns Hopkins at 17. I skipped my last year of high school. I oh. went to law school without taking a break, without taking a breath. I was a lawyer at 23. Uh, I went to Wall Street. I did my thing for not too long because I hated it. And, um, but I look back over that me and I think, holy cow, so where were you in such a hurry? Where were you running? Where were you running? You never stopped to smell the roses. You never did an exchange here yeah. in Europe. What was wrong with you? But that's the truth. I was mm-hmm. running. I was running. I don't know where I was running. I was running. Yeah. What were we in such a hurry? To <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think, I think we were in a hurry to get into life. And I'm, Maybe you know, so. I don't have any real regrets about that. Um, I think, you know, it would have been nice to smell the roses a bit, but I did a bit of that too. (laughs) Good, good. Yeah, yeah. Good. We're chatting with Ellen McLaughlin. Hey, Ellen, before I let you go, I I have to ask you a question as a writer, just just from a writer's point of view. There was a story today in the Times that got my attention about Roald Dahl, who was one of the greatest, Mm -hmm. greatest authors of children's literature. He has tapped into children's brains in a way that few English authors have. And yeah, yeah, he was accused of being an anti-Semite in his personal life and this and that. But to me, the work is the work. And then there's the person, Mm -hmm. right? There's the work and then there's the person. So I I saw today that his works are being redone. Uh, His estate 
has agreed to change the language in many of his books. And the publisher, Mm -hmm. which is now owned by Netflix, is also doing that. And so, for example, the words mother and father are Mm -hmm. being changed to parent. And a lot of the more caustic uh, words like fat are Mm -hmm. going away because of this idea of evolving sensibilities. And people in Penn, which is, you know, a national national organization on behalf of writers are incensed about this. I'm a writer, and I think it's completely wrongheaded. But I was just wondering what you think. Yeah, I didn't even know about this. Um, I, I think it, it uh, doesn't make any sense to to change a writer's work when they're helpless to represent he's themselves. He's dead. Yeah, he's gone. And he is dead, <laughs> and he was an anti-Semite, and he was a terrible man and an awful husband. But if you respond to the writing, you respond to the writing, and you have to actually... Um, take into account his anti-Semitism, but you can only do that if you can read it, you know, as he wrote it. And I think the same is true for T.S. Eliot, and, you know, it's fill in the blank. There are a whole lot of authors who express sentiments which now seem to us absolutely despicable, but that doesn't mean that their work doesn't have any value, and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't read the work as it was written by the person who is now dead and incapable of defending themselves you know if and if you're teaching children's literature and it has um aspects to it that you object to you teach the literature and you talk about that that's what i but think that you're, you're yeah. not teaching the literature if you are changing uh, an author's words you're you're not allowed to do that I don't think I so mean, either. I mean, you know, Mark Twain. I mean, has anybody read Huckleberry Finn recently? Hello. But, you yeah. know, I, to me, you don't. I don't believe in trigger warnings anyway. I think that they're just a ridiculous thing. No, you, I you, mean, you, you know. you're talking you, to somebody who does a lot of work with Greek plays. and Right, exactly. I mean, Look who I'm talking had, about. <laughs> the, the point of a Greek play is to shock. It's to jolt us out of our comfort and make us think about things that nobody would choose to think about. And you cannot, I mean, trigger warnings completely, um, they undermine the whole point of drama, which is to surprise, to disconcert, to shock. And it doesn't work if you know it's coming. Uh, you just, you, 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 can, you should not be able to prepare for what's going to happen. And if you don't like that sensation, then don't go to the theater. Mm -hmm. But the theater, if it is to do what it's designed to do, um, has to be allowed to, to do its magic. You know, it's got to be allowed to work. It's got to be allowed to shock. Um, it doesn't make any, and, and so I, yes, I, I don't believe that you should rewrite an author's work. And I don't think that, we should coddle audiences. If you don't want to come, don't come. Ellen McLaughlin, a pleasure to chat with you. Wonderful to get to know you. Congratulations on this premiere. I hope it's a great success. It's opening at Theater Road this Saturday. It's called the world premiere of, no, not the world. It's called Kissing the Floor. It is the world premiere of Kissing the Floor. I love the title, by the way. 
And thank you um, very much. Congrats with your, your latest rewrites. I hope it's a great success. And thank you for joining <laughs> us on the show today. Good luck. Break a leg. Thanks, Break a leg. Lisa. It was thank a pleasure. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com. 